When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Between recording the next episode of my podcast, running a business, and all of the things life throws my way, sometimes it's good to just get away. Hola, ¿qué tal? It's Chiquis here. And let me tell you, I love booking a trip where I can escape. There's nothing like spending a few days at the beach, relaxing and spending time with family. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter your reasons, the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of. One that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. By the mid-1980s, Miami became notoriously known as the drug capital of the world. The city was responsible for providing over 70% of all cocaine and 70% of all marijuana in the United States. It was estimated that the drug trade was also infusing $12 billion a year into the local economy. And with that much money up for grabs came incredible amounts of violence. You have shootouts at busy shopping malls at high noon in the summer with moms pushing their their babies in strollers. But in the male-dominated world of drug trafficking, Miami's biggest cocaine empire was helmed by a woman who ruthlessly ruled through fear and violence. She was known as La Madrina, or the Godmother. Griselda Blanco, her husbands, and their cocaine trafficking organizations are credited with as many as 200 murders. Ruthless murder. Women children, men, one after the other. Hi, I'm Joey Dowd. And I'm Kareem Tapsh. Beaches, nightlife, and tropical weather may be what folks think of when they think Florida. But as Miami natives, we like to say that South Florida is a sunny place for shady people. Each week, we'll bring you a new episode of a true crime case committed right here under the Florida sun. From the outrageous to the utterly bizarre. Think you've heard it all? Think again. This is Paradise Lost, Crime in Miami. It's the mid-1970s in Miami, Florida. Griselda Blanco, a Colombian drug dealer with a decent-sized operation, arrives in South Florida from New York. She's on the run from the DEA and a federal indictment for transporting what at the time was a record-setting 150 kilos of cocaine. But that's nothing compared to what she would do next. Griselda spent the past decade building up a distribution network to smuggle cocaine from Colombia in the United States. All of that work was about to pay off. America in the 1970s had a seemingly unquenchable appetite for cocaine. Americans just had Hoover vacuum cleaners in the middle of their faces, and they were just sucking up cocaine at a preposterous rate. And really, it was the demand that made the business. 
That's Billy Corbin, the celebrated documentary filmmaker who chronicled the seedy underbelly of South Florida in a series of popular films. Most famously, Cocaine Cowboys and its sequels, which tells Griselda's story. There is so much cocaine building up in Colombia, and there is just tons of kilos sitting in, in uh, warehouses and on airstrips waiting for people to be able to coordinate the transportation to bring it into the United States. And so if you had the ability to effectuate that, you were going, you were printing money in the United States. And Griselda, having been one of the pioneers and one of the earliest uh, uh, narcos operating in the United States successfully, she just had a ready-made operation. Griselda had gotten into the drug trade through her previous husbands. With a huge demand for her product, she was ready to take her empire to the next level. She was able to bring in hundreds and hundreds of kilos at a time. And you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of kilos uh, per month, probably as many as a thousand kilos. Literally, they would put as much as they could fit on a plane without it crashing from the from being overweight. They would get on a plane and they would bring it to the United States. The Miami Herald placed the estimate even higher, reporting that she might have smuggled more than 1,500 kilos a month by boat and plane. She had a distribution network across the United States, transferring the drugs across her network from Miami to New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. The amount of money Griselda was bringing in was enormous. By one estimate from Billy and the Sun newspaper, she was making $50 million a month. The Sun estimates her total fortune to have been worth more than $1.5 billion. Today, that would be worth about $5 billion. Griselda definitely took advantage of this fortune and was living the high life in South Florida. She purchased a mansion in Fort Lauderdale where she was known for hosting elaborate parties where other drug kingpins attended, including Carlos Ledler, the Ochoa brothers, and a young Pablo Escobar, whom she was rumored to have taken under her wing and mentored. And Griselda will tell you that she is the person who uh, helped Pablo Escobar, who at the time was a uh, street hustler, a car thief. She helped him uh, in his first ever cocaine uh, transaction, which was half Uh, I believe half a kilo of cocaine was the first transaction. According to Billy and the Sun, she had diamonds purchased from Argentina's first lady, Eva Perón. She had an emerald and gold Mach 10 submachine gun. She even had a bronze sculpture of herself. Now, it wasn't just Griselda bringing in millions through the drug trade. Miami as a whole was America's drug capital in the late 70s, early 80s. The late medical examiner of Dade County, Dr. Joe Davis, uh, he told me that uh, if you analyze any bill, $20 or greater, if not every bill in Miami in the 1980s, you would find traces of cocaine on those bills. Every single one. If you had a business in Miami and weren't actively involved in drugs, there's a good chance you were still benefiting from the boost in cash flooding Miami. Miami was a place that it's America's Casablanca. As long as the money is flowing and the booze is flowing, nobody cares about where your money comes from. It's everyone was nouveau riche in Miami, especially in that era. So people just had money and there were businesses that were happy to take it. 
the rising tide raises all ships at the risk of using a sea level rise metaphor in Miami, but it's true. Billy told us how Mayer's Jewelers in Miami was the number one seller of Rolex watches in the world. The Mutiny Hotel in Coconut Grove was the number one seller of Dom Perignon champagne in the world. He said they went through so much Dom Perignon, they had to convert hotel rooms into refrigerators to store it. And for VIPs, they'd fill up entire hot tubs with Dom Perignon. Just for reference, a single bottle of Dom averages about 200 bucks. You had what I believe to be the only successful real-world case study of Ronald Reagan's trickle-down economics. It's the only time that that actually worked. It's the only time you had people generating billions of dollars that trickled down from the kingpins and queenpins into every facet of society, into every legitimate business, into real estate development, and eventually into the very foundation of what became uh, the modern international city of Miami, the county of Dade. Miami doesn't have any indigenous industry. We don't produce anything in Miami. We sell the sunshine. We sell development and growth and real estate and tourism and hotels. Everybody is an independent operator and we subsist from hustle to hustle. So no one wanted this cocaine boom to end, economically speaking. Now, remember, drugs are a cash-based business. So when we talk about millions and millions of dollars of drugs being sold, that's millions of dollars of physical cash that needs some place to go. There's like, there's no place to put the money. There's not, there's, you can't spend as much money as they were making. Not to mention that cash becomes a liability because there's no place to put all of this money. And you start to, if you want to deposit it in banks in Miami, they're going to charge you a big, call it accounting fee, because there's, they had no place to put the cash. So you had, they start turning it over to the Federal Reserve Bank branch in Miami, which winds up with a cash surplus greater than all of the other branches of the Federal Reserve Banks in the country combined. Now, you can't run a global drug empire by yourself. She had a significant operation. She had a lot of employees. By one estimate from the DEA, she had 600 people on her payroll whom she took care of and earned their loyalty. DEA agent Bob Palumbo, who would ultimately spend more than a decade chasing down Griselda, said she could mesmerize people, turning them into loyal followers. She also took care of them if they or their families got injured, according to Billy, as was the case with her primary hitman, Jorge Rivi Ayala. She had a, a big payroll and she t- took care of them. She insured them effectively um, if they were sick. Uh, if their families were injured in the case of Jorge Riviayala, her hitman, her, her favorite enforcer, uh, his son was injured in a horrific uh, car accident and she showed up at the hospital VIP everything. He got transferred to like the best room. He got transferred, I think, to a better hospital with the best doctors. Um, there was, yeah, who knew uh, that hitmen get insurance? Uh, we, we can call it uh, Griselda care. What Griselda is doing is obviously a highly illicit business. But if you take a step back and look at this as a business operation, what she's able to accomplish is truly extraordinary. I mean, the sheer scale of the undertaking is impressive given the challenges. Now imagine doing this multinational, growing this multinational business, and it's totally illegal every step of the way. Uh, the, the, The cultivation of it, the shipping of it, the selling of it, the the uh, the movement of money 
uh, of the revenue generated from it back out of the country. I mean, every step of the way enforcing it through violence, all of this is illegal. And yet, while America is basically asleep at the wheel, right under our noses, pun intended, the Colombians and Griselda in no small part builds this extraordinary transportation network you're cultivating buyers in Miami, in New York, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, basically where you have people with money, where you have people who are professionals, who are going out and partying on the weekend, the so-called weekend warriors, but also where you have celebrities, sports stars. There was there was not one, but two Miami Dolphins football players who were busted for cocaine in Miami. Cocaine also created a culture. One could even argue you don't have disco without the drug that fueled it. Around that time, you have, of course, celebrities, rock stars in Los Angeles who are, I mean, did disco promote cocaine or did cocaine promote disco? It's sort of a chicken or the egg effect. There's no doubt that without cocaine, there is no <laughs> there is no disco. Uh, that music is, is fueled purely by, uh, by this product. Now, we had mentioned earlier that Griselda got into the drug trade through her husbands. Plural. She had two previous husbands, both who died under mysterious circumstances. One in the early 1970s and the other one in 1975. This earned her the nickname the Black Widow. But we'll get into that later. She also had three sons with her first husband, Carlos Trujillo. Their names were Dixon, Uber, and Osvaldo. In 1978, she marries again, this time to Dario Sepulveda. Sepulveda comes from a family of drug dealers, so it seems this was partly a marriage of political strategy to secure her empire. Griselda was a strong woman in a man's business, and it behooved her to join forces with a strong and dangerous man who had a family, in this case, uh, you know, of brothers who could help them enforce their business. Now, we mentioned that one of her nicknames was the Black Widow. Reportedly, she wasn't very fond of that one, according to Billy. But another nickname of hers that she fully embraced was La Madrina, the Godmother. She enjoyed the comparisons of herself to the Godfather that she named her fourth son, who she had with Dara Sepulveda, Michael Corleone Sepulveda, after Michael Corleone, Al Pacino's character in The Godfather. And if you remember in The Godfather, Michael Corleone takes over his father's mafia empire, which is exactly what Griselda envisioned for her fourth son, to take over the family business, according to the Miami New Times. Now, we've talked about her global drug empire, the millions of dollars she was making each month, and the hundreds of people that worked for her that she took care of. But make no mistake, Griselda was a ruthless murderer. It comes with the territory of running a cocaine cartel. cocaine was a consignment business. So if you gave four kilos to someone, they owe you $200,000. So you'd come to an agreement. You'd say, how long do you need? 10 days. Okay, in 10 days, come back and pay me the $200,000. If at the end of the 10 days, they don't come back and pay you the $200,000, you don't go and file a lawsuit against them for breach of contract. This is an illicit trade and you have to enforce it your own way. And 
she did and all the narcos did and that would sometimes result in violence and uh, not infrequently murder while griselda rarely pulled the trigger herself she had a group of enforcers or hitmen who would kill on her orders she embarked on a ruthless murder and killing spree killing anyone that stood in her way according to max mermelstein a former employee she quote had the worst temper i ever saw she ordered death the way other people order a pizza, end quote. If you owed her money and didn't pay up, she'd kill you. If you threatened to go to the police or try to extort her, she'd kill you. If she owed you money and didn't feel like paying, she'd kill you. According to the magazine Maxim, she was so ruthless, when ordering a hit, she'd have her hitmen kill everyone in the area, including women and children. Her preferred method of killing was the motorcycle hit. Motorcycle hit is one that, uh, if she didn't invent it, she perfected it. It was one of her favorite uh, uh, reportedly forms of uh, assassination. One guy on the front driving the motorcycle, another on the back with a gun doing the shooting. You drive up on someone, boom, 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 and you take off before anyone knows what hit them. Another factor that increased the violence was war. War between the different cartels, including her former mentee, Pablo Escobar. The two were now rivals, deploying members of their own drug cartels to try to kill each other. And Griselda was at war with just about every other competing cartel. This led to the infamous Dayland Mall Massacre in 1979. Competing drug dealer Herman Jimenez Paneso and his bodyguard were at a liquor store at Dayland Mall in Kendall, a large suburb of Miami. Three gunmen pulled up in a delivery van marked Happy Time Complete Party Supply. It was filled with about 20 shotguns, revolvers, and machine guns, with little holes on the side to fire their guns from what police would later call a war wagon. It's 2.30 in the afternoon, middle of the day. Regular people are shopping at the ball when the three hitmen open fire in the parking lot, spraying bullets everywhere. Over 60 shots were fired, riddling cars with bullet holes. Paneso and his bodyguard were killed. Miraculously, only two bystanders were injured, but no one else was killed. However, the sheer blatantness of the murder in broad daylight in the middle of a busy shopping mall shocked the city. Police officer at the scene called them cocaine cowboys. With Griselda at war with Pablo Escobar and other drug cartels, and the DEA on her pursuit, how long can she keep this going? And who will get to her first? When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door! Winning! No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hola, ¿qué tal? This is Cheekies from the Cheekies and Chill podcast. For whatever reason, or absolutely no reason at all, sometimes we all just need some time to turn off and get away. A lot of times on the My Cultura podcast network, our storytellers share their adventures and tips for living our best lives. And why not? With the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card, you can easily check off all those dreamy destinations. Como la playa que viste en ese show, or climbing that mountain on your screensaver. I see you. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter the reason, the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Griselda Blanco was born into the shanty town surrounding Cartagena, Colombia on February 15th, 1943. She grew up in poverty and was surrounded by death and violence starting at a very young age. She grew up really on the streets and in the time of La Violencia, uh, a brutal civil war in Colombia in which hundreds of thousands of people were killed. Uh, and legend has it that she and her young friends, um, when they were in their single digits, uh, for fun and to uh, pass the time and cure boredom, would bury uh, some of the bodies that they found uh, uh, killed uh, uh, um, in the streets and on the side of the road. Knowing anything for certain around Griselda's childhood is tricky. Obviously, there aren't many records, but it was reported that her mother was an abusive alcoholic. Physical abuse at home forced her out of Cartagena and onto the streets of Medellin. She survived as a pickpocket and prostitute. It's also said that, that she turned to a life of crime very early, including uh, kidnapping and forgery. Uh, it's also alleged that, that for a time she may have dabbled in prostitution. According to Billy, there's a legend that when she was 10 or 11, her and some of her friends kidnapped a 10-year-old boy from a wealthy family to hold him for ransom. When the family wouldn't pay, rather than giving up and letting the boy go, Griselda shot the boy in the head. Around the age of 13, she meets Carlos Trujillo, who would later become her first husband. She was a young woman when she, was in, when she married Carlos Trujillo. And in fact, she kept his name. Uh, her name was Griselda Blanco de Trujillo th for her entire life. Trujillo was a master forger of immigration papers and a coyote who helped smuggle people across borders. Griselda learned how to forge passports and immigration documents through Trujillo, which would later come in handy when she needed to go back and forth between the U.S. and Miami while on the run from the DEA. As we mentioned earlier, Griselda and Trujillo had three sons, Uber, Dixon, and Osvaldo. She had a, a real love for her boys, uh, and I think that was part of the enduring connection that she had uh, with Carlos Trujillo. Now, the marriage doesn't last. There are vague rumors that Griselda had Trujillo killed over a business dispute, but that seems like some mythologizing once she got the Black Widow nickname. The most likely cause of death is far less telenovela. And he died of hepatitis, which is a far less glamorous version of, uh, of the Black Widow, who allegedly killed all of her husbands and would ensnare men in her web. 
Griselda would eventually meet and marry her second husband, Alberto Bravo. Bravo was a drug trafficker for the Medellin cartel and served as Griselda's introduction into the cocaine industry. They started um, smuggling very small quantities, which was the trend in the early and uh, into the mid 70s. And they would basically they had a, a brazier factory where they would uh, line the bras with cocaine kind of tantamount to kind of vacuum sealed plastic tubes that they would kind of like line in or bags that they would kind of place in the bras and then ship them into the United States under the guise of importing uh, ladies underwear and undergarments. The two eventually moved to New York to handle this growing drug import business. At the time, cocaine trade was run by the Italian mafia, but they relied on middlemen to get the drugs. Griselda and Bravo had direct connections to the source right inside Colombia. This created a massive opportunity for them. Griselda and Alberto Bravo were paying as little as $2,000 per kilo in Colombia. And once they were able to successfully smuggle it to the United States, are getting upwards of $70,000 per kilo. Those markups are off the charts. Because of her connections, Griselda was the first to have multiple sources of cocaine. So if one dried up or was shut down, she could still keep the supply coming. These are very small quantities at the time, but that's that's what the trade was. You can only get so much cocaine um, and you can only smuggle so much of it uh, into the United States. So these are these are kilos, kilos, kilos at a time um, until they start to to transition into five kilos, 10 kilos, 50 kilos. They eventually outgrew the tiny cocaine packets inside bras and undergarments and started moving large shipments of cocaine by plane. This was another innovation from Griselda, according to the DEA. Instead of smuggling in tiny amounts in little packets or hidden on people, she consolidated the shipments to large loads that would get flown in by plane. Pilots would get paid between $100,000 and $250,000 a shipment. Then, she'd use the distribution networks she was building in the U.S. to disperse the drugs. They weren't just shipping it to one location. They They were then shipping it all over the country. According to Billy and his Cocaine Cowboys documentary, they were millionaires within a matter of months of moving to the U.S., But growing from a few kilos to dozens or hundreds a month put her on the radar of law enforcement. The New York Police Department and the DEA put together a sting operation called Operation Banshee. They intercepted one of Griselda and Bravo's shipments of 150 kilos of cocaine. By the time you get to 1975, Operation Banshee, you're talking about uh, the first major cocaine indictment in the history of the United States, this out of uh, New York. Uh, we're talking about 150 kilos, which, by the way, that was huge. I mean, that was uh, 150 kilos in 1975 was unthinkable. That was off the charts. That was a, a monstrous, epic cocaine trafficking organization. Operation Banshee resulted in the indictment of Griselda and more than 30 of her subordinates on federal drug conspiracy charges. This was a huge drug charge at the time, and Griselda was the first big drug trafficker to be on the DEA's radar and be indicted on drug trafficking charges. This is before the Ochoas and Gacha and Pablo Escobar. After being indicted in New York, Griselda didn't stick around to plead her case. She and Alberto Bravo are like, we got to get the hell out of New York because this is where we're wanted. So <laughs> they, 
<laughs> they go to Miami, which 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 leads me to one of my most favorite sayings, which is that L.A. is where you go when you want to be somebody. New York is where you go when you are somebody. And Miami is where you go when you want to be somebody else. Uh, it has always been a sunny place for shady people. Even though Griselda was wanted by the DEA, she still traveled back and forth to Colombia. Remember, she has a background in forging documents, so making fake IDs and passports was not an issue for her. Later on that year, in 1975, is when her husband, Alberto Bravo, is murdered. The two are back in Colombia. The legend of what happened is Griselda confronts Bravo in a parking lot of a Bogota nightclub. She believes Bravo has been stealing millions of dollars from their drug business. Griselda pulls out a pistol. Bravo and his six bodyguards pull out an Uzi submachine gun and a gun battle ensues. Bravo and his six bodyguards end up dead. Griselda walks away with just a gunshot wound to her abdomen. So that's the story that went around and it really mythologized Griselda the Black Widow. But there's an alternate version. The alternate story, which incidentally is just as colorful, uh, is that Griselda and Alberto Bravo went to war with Pablo Escobar. In this story, according to Billy, Griselda and Bravo might not have been fighting each other, but fighting on the same side against Pablo Escobar and his men. What we do know for certain is Bravo ended up dead and Griselda was shot and wounded. But she quickly recovers and heads back to Miami, where things really begin to expand with her drug empire. The entire time in which Griselda is operating in the, throughout the 1980s, in Miami, in Colombia, in California. This is a time in which she becomes notorious, in which all of the legends are kind of born and people start, you know, mythologizing her past. She was a fugitive from justice that entire time. She was wanted by the DEA and by the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York for the entire time she was operating. Which is extraordinary because not only was she building this, what would later become a multi-billion dollar illicit multinational corporation, let's say, that she was running, but she was doing it all the while running away from the authorities who were already had already indicted her in 1975. It's the early 1980s. Griselda is continuing her all-out war against competing cartels. One of the more notorious attacks was against the Mejia crew. The Mejias were a rival drug gang. In 1981, the Mejias allegedly stole one of Griselda's drug shipments. She sent her top assassin, Jorge Rivi Ayala, to take care of them. The head of the Mejias, Octavio the Mattress Mejia, was killed inside the Pan American Mall in South Florida. In a more personal attack that Billy told us about, she ordered that his son, Luis Papo Mejia, who was behind the stealing of the shipment and in charge of this rival group, be stabbed. She reportedly said Papo was a pig, and he should be stabbed like a pig. But not just any kind of stabbing. She wanted him stabbed with a vintage World War II bayonet as soon as he got through customs in the Miami International Airport. Rivi, her assassin, knew this was a suicide mission, so he got another hitman, Miguel Perez, to do the deed. Papo lands from Colombia, gets off the plane, goes through customs, and as he's leaving, Perez stabs him 10 times. Miraculously, he survives but his crew is wiped out. At the end of it all, 11 of the 12 Mejia crew members are killed by Griselda. This is just one story. There are many like this. 
Between 1979 and 1981, she was suspected of being behind the majority of homicides in South Florida, according to the book Drugs in American Society. And by 1981 into 1982, Miami became the homicide capital of the United States. Griselda Blanco, her husbands, and their cocaine trafficking organizations uh, are credited with as many as 200 murders. And it wasn't just Griselda killing people. This was the paradise lost era of Miami, where Time Magazine released their famous cover article questioning if Miami could survive the onset of drug-fueled crime and murder. Within a few years, Miami would become the murder capital of the world. What killed the the golden goose was the violence because everybody in Miami, if they weren't addicted to the cocaine, they were addicted to the cocaine money. In the early 1980s, 25% of all of the bodies in the morgue had wounds from automatic gunfire in them, 25% of the bodies. There were so many bodies piling up at the time that uh, the medical examiner had to go to Burger King, whose corporate headquarters was here in Miami, and borrow a refrigerated Burger King meat truck to store the dead bodies. It's 1983. The marriage between Griselda and her third husband, Dario Sepulveda, has ended after Griselda learned that he was messing around with a topless dancer in Fort Lauderdale, according to a story in the Miami New Time. Dario was the father of Griselda's beloved fourth son, Michael Corleone. There was a custody battle over Michael. Griselda wanted Michael to stay with her, but Dario ended up taking him back to Colombia. He thought his connections to the drug cartels in Colombia would be able to protect him from Griselda. He was wrong. Legend has it that it was a custody dispute over the then about two or three-year-old Michael that led to their so-called Colombian divorce and uh, Dario Sepulveda's demise once again in a hail of bullets in Colombia. While driving around the streets of Medellin, Dario was pulled over. Police officers, real police officers, pulled him over and murdered him. Execution style at the side of the road. Legend has it that Griselda put them up to it and paid those police officers specifically to execute her husband, really to settle a custody dispute over Michael Corleone in their separation. Michael was returned back to the U.S. to be with Griselda. Also around this time, Griselda got hooked on her own product. She started doing bazooka, which is an unrefined, smokable form of cocaine. So when you have access to money, when you can get everything you want, when you have access to like 98 plus percent pure cocaine, um, you're looking for a thrill that money can't buy. Um, a lot of these uh, narcos would start smoking bazooka, which was like the purest freebasing thing, basically, the purest way you can ingest cocaine into your system. And they become erratic and they become paranoid and unpredictable. Obviously, smoking pure cocaine is not going to help ease someone who already has homicidal tendencies. She started making more enemies than friends. And this is what happened as the walls started to close in on Griselda. Once she was blamed for the murder of her third husband, Dario Sepulveda, she didn't have a lot of friends left. Dario was very well liked and respected in Colombia. And a lot of people turned on her and her supply of cocaine got shut off. 
One of her last allies and suppliers was Marta Ochoa, who was the niece of a leader of the Ochoa family, a powerful cartel in Medellin. Marta was basically her last friend and her last supplier. Um, everybody was looking uh, to kill Griselda on sight, and no one was was feeding her her pipeline anymore. And so eventually she was going to run out of money. And the people that she was supplying, her customers, her wholesale customers, were going to turn to other sources. And that was basically going to choke her her lifeblood. And, and she wouldn't have money uh, to take care of herself uh, and her family anymore. And she got desperate. And she allegedly murdered this Ochoa relative, this woman, reportedly because she couldn't afford to pay her for the cocaine she had purchased from her. Griselda had purchased cocaine from Ochoa, and rather than pay her for the cocaine, she tortured her to find out where another drug lord was that Griselda owed money to. Then they killed Marta, thinking they could claim that Marta had stolen both their money and cocaine. That plan did not work. She had killed a member of the cartel, and now there was a bounty on her. She was also being hunted down by her own family. When Jaime Bravo, Alberto Bravo's nephew, who was Griselda's second husband, learned that Griselda was behind his uncle's murder, he started looking for her. He brought in two hitmen from Colombia, and they staked out a mall she frequently visited. And of course, let's not forget about the DEA. We're entering 1984, nine years since she was first federally indicted and been on the run from authorities. she was not only on the run from the DEA as a fugitive in the Operation Banshee indictment, but she's on the run from almost all of her friends and former associates. There is a price on her head, and she is now going to go where she does have friends in part of her pipeline in California, and she goes to Irvine, California, where she starts to quite literally lie low. She is just chilling, reading the Bible, and trying to, to keep her head down and stay out of trouble because the moment she she pops up for air, there's no telling how many different people will be there to cut it off. In California, she might be able to escape most of the cartel hitmen, but the DEA are still hot on her trail. While she may have been laying low personally, she was still running a smaller drug operation managed by her four sons. Through an informant, the DEA were able to get close to her sons and their drug operation. Eventually, they tracked them back to Griselda in Irvine, California. It's only a matter of time before they finally close in. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door! Winning! No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> No one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hola, ¿qué tal? This is Cheekies from the Cheekies and Chill podcast. For whatever reason, or absolutely no reason at all, sometimes we all just need some time to turn off and get away. A lot of times on the My Cultura podcast network, our storytellers share their adventures and tips for living our best lives. And why not? With the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card, you can easily check off all those dreamy destinations, como la playa que viste en ese show, or climbing that mountain on your screensaver. I see you. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter the reason, 
the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. It's 1985 in Irvine, California. Griselda Blanco is lying low in a suburban bungalow with her mother, Anna, and youngest son, Michael Corleone. She is not living ostentatiously as she did as a cocaine queenpin and uh, and alleged billionaire in South Florida. She's now just trying to live off the grid. DEA agent Robert Palumbo and his team, who had been chasing Griselda since 1974, break down the door and storm the house. And they find Griselda inside on her bed reading the Bible. Robert Palumbo says, Hola, Griselda, you're under arrest. And she says, No, no, Griselda, me llamo Betty. And um, <laughs> my name is Betty. And he says, No, 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 I know who you are, Griselda, and you are under arrest. And then he kissed her on the cheek, which was a promise that he had made many, many years earlier to his fellow DEA agents that just in sort of a, a moment of, of silliness, like if I ever catch Griselda, I'm going to give her a little little peck on the cheek. Uh, and, and I don't think that he could believe it, that he had finally that he had finally caught up with her after nearly a decade. And so he, he fulfilled that promise and gave her a little kiss on the cheek. Griselda didn't say anything else to the police. There was a gun in her nightstand, but she never made an effort to reach for it, according to CBS Miami. Her three sons, Uber, Oswaldo, and Dixon, were also arrested. Griselda's trial took place in New York in June 1985. Despite being suspected of multiple murders, she wasn't charged with any in this trial. She was convicted on one count of conspiracy to manufacture, import, and distribute cocaine and sentenced to 15 years. But prison did not slow this woman down. Prison really wasn't such a bad deal for Griselda. She's now protected from all the cartels and hitmen who wanted her dead in Miami and Colombia, and she's still able to run her drug operation just at a much smaller scale. One of the things she was still doing while she was in prison was being able to continue to operate freely her cocaine organization and generate revenue for her business and her family. While Griselda is incarcerated in a minimum security prison in Dublin, California, near Oakland, she also starts getting letters from a man named Charles Cosby. There is a young kid, African-American kid, who's moving some crack on the streets of uh, uh, Brookfield Village, um, a neighborhood in, uh, in Oakland. 
His name is Charles Cosby, and he reads a newspaper article uh, about Griselda Blanco, this cocaine queen pin, this billionaire uh, mastermind of the cocaine trade from its earliest, earliest uh, stages. And he's impressed with that as a low level street dealer in the 90s in California. And he starts writing her what can only be described as fan mail uh, in prison. The two start a correspondence and Charles eventually earns the trust of Griselda. He gets a knock on his door. A woman says she has a delivery from the godmother and hands him a package. Inside are 50 kilos of cocaine. Within a month, Cosby was a millionaire, according to Maxim. Griselda takes Cosby on as a sort of protege who helps run her business from prison and a love connection forms. So Griselda is living a kind of lonely life in this prison and warmly accepts uh, Charles Cosby's fan mail and responds to him. And they start a prison romance. She writes him love letters, cards, uh, just just beautiful, I love you, I miss you, I can't wait to see you and feel your body, uh, love Griselda. And then she would put on red lipstick and kiss the cards. They would pay guards $1,500 to turn the other way so they could sneak into the multi-purpose room in the prison to have sex. Not only was Griselda running the business, she was still ordering hits. In 1987, Oscar Pietrejita, a former lieutenant of hers who tried to extort her for a million dollars, is machine gunned down at his infant son's wake. In 1992, her son Osvaldo, who had been deported back to Colombia, was killed in a hit in Medellin. Griselda was able to have his killers tracked down, where they were then tortured and killed. She did all of this while still in prison near Oakland, California. The police were not done with Griselda. They kept investigating her, and based on new information, they were bringing new charges against her. Remember, up to this point, she had just been serving time for cocaine-related crimes. She hadn't been charged with any murders. Yet. In 1994, Griselda was transported back to Miami on three murder charges. After her federal prison time in California, she was extradited to stand trial, or I should say to face charges, of three capital murders that she had allegedly commissioned her her hitmen to perform. Her former number one hitman, Jorge Rivia Ayala, had been arrested and was now cooperating with law enforcement in order to escape the death penalty. He started talking about all the murders he did for Griselda. He told one story about how he was paid $50,000 to kill a man while Griselda's three-year-old son Michael was in the room with her. He told another story about how he was ordered to kill drug dealers Alfredo and Grisel Lorenzo, who failed to pay for five kilos of cocaine. They were shot in their South Miami home as their three children watched TV in the other room. And in another story, he was one of the shooters who were ordered to kill Jesus Chucho Castro, a cartel enforcer who Griselda wanted killed for disrespecting her son. Chucho survived the barrage of bullets that hit his car, but his two-year-old son in the backseat was killed. According to Rivi, when he told Griselda that the two-year-old boy, Johnny Castro, was accidentally killed, she said she was glad, and now they were even. With Rivi's testimony for the prosecution, things were not looking good for Griselda. But as luck would have it, she caught a break. 
It came to light that Rivi was having a phone sex relationship with two of the secretaries at the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office. They had also cashed money orders she had sent them. This phone sex scandal was a huge blow to Rivi's credibility as a witness, and most of the prosecution case rested on Rivi's testimony. With Rivi basically useless, the state didn't have enough evidence to confidently go to trial against Griselda. They struck a deal with Griselda instead. Ultimately, as a result of a phone sex scandal involving their cooperating witness, Jorge Riviala, the state attorney pled her down to a slap on the wrist. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison for three capital murders. Capital murder means capital punishment. She could have received the electric chair times three for those murders and instead served about six or seven years of those 10. And in 2004, was deported uh, back to uh, Colombia. In total, Griselda served 20 years in prison. Back in Colombia, she's done being a drug lord, but according to the Miami Herald, was able to hold on to her immense wealth. She became a born-again Christian, and according to family, she was trying to leave her past life behind and get into real estate. She lived a low-key, pretty chill life for seven years in Medellin. On September 3rd, 2012, Griselda was walking to her neighborhood butcher shop with her daughter-in-law. She was known to walk freely in the streets without security or bodyguards. They bought $150 worth of meat. As they're leaving the butcher shop, a motorcycle pulls up beside Griselda. Like the Old Testament proverb says, live by the motorcycle hit, die by the motorcycle hit. And that's exactly what happened in 2012. Uh, Motorcycle pulled up on the butcher shop where Griselda was buying her meats to go back home and and cook in her beautiful home near Medellin. And one guy in front driving the motorcycle, one, one person in the back with a gun, and she was shot and killed. Griselda Blanco was 69 when she was killed. All three of Griselda's oldest sons were eventually killed after being deported back to Colombia. Her youngest son, Michael Corleone Blanco, is still alive. In a bit of irony, Griselda, who was bitter enemies with Pablo Escobar throughout most of her life, is buried in the same cemetery as him in Colombia. I think her legacy and really the uh, the fact that she has endured uh, in pop culture and in the imaginations of so many people uh, is because when we say cocaine cowboys, it's cocaine cowboys. Uh, And she was a cocaine cowgirl, uh, and a powerful one, and an effective one, and a successful one uh, at that. She had mastered uh, every part of this multinational, multi-billion dollar illicit trade, uh, and could keep up with, with any of them. Griselda Blanco's notorious legacy has made her a pop culture sensation. In 2017, Catherine Zeta-Jones played her in the Lifetime movie, Cocaine Godmother. It was recently announced Sofia Vergara will star in a six-part series for Netflix, and Jennifer Lopez is reported to be in the works on a feature film on Griselda's life. You can learn more about Griselda Blanco in Billy Corbett's documentary Cocaine Cowboys and Cocaine Cowboys 2 Hustling for the Godmother, both of which are available on iTunes and Amazon. And as an aside, anytime somebody comes to Miami or spends a long time or considers moving here, I tell them you have to watch Cocaine Cowboys if you want to understand how Miami of today was formed in the 1980s. It's a great watch. 
Thank you for listening to Paradise Lost, Crime in Miami, where each new episode will bring you a true crime story right from the South Florida headlines. Paradise Lost, Crime in Miami is a production of Sonoro and Trojan Horse in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Network. Hosted and produced by Kareem Tapsh, Joey Dowd, and Christian Hatar. Edited by Angelina Mosher Salazar. Fact-checking by Evelyn Uribe and Sara Mota. Engineering by Mane Parra, Daniel Padilla, and Fernando Galaviz. Executive produced by Jasmine Romero and Joshua Weinstein for Sonoro. Kareem Tapsh and Alex Fumero for Trojan Horse. And Giselle Bansis and Kono Byrne for iHeart. Listen to Paradise Lost Crime in Miami on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Between recording the next episode of my podcast, running a business, and all of the things life throws my way, sometimes it's good to just get away. Hola, ¿qué tal? It's Chiquis here. And let me tell you, I love booking a trip where I can escape. There's nothing like spending a few days at the beach, relaxing and spending time with family. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter your reasons, the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.